Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this message, Billy Humphrey speaks from Song of Solomon chapter 7, teaching on the transformative power of forgiveness and how the Lord is our vindicator. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. We are, in, we are in chapter 7 of Song of Solomon, and uh, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I ask for the spirit of revelation to hit this room, open the eyes of our understanding, release light. Thank you for helping us and teaching us, instructing us of your heart, Jesus. We see you in this song. You're the bridegroom. We're the bride. Thank you for breaking it down for us telling us how you think and feel about us. So, Lord, release revelation in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just say this. The, um, I really believe that tonight the Lord is going to minister to people who feel like you've been wronged and you've never been vindicated. You feel like you've been mistreated in some way, and you don't, un, you haven't felt like um, it was ever rectified. Song of Solomon seven answers that, and so um, let's just walk through it. So we we ended last week. Chapter six is a celebration of the bride's maturity, and what we experience there is he is celebrating her maturity, and then there's a group of believers that really appreciate her ministry, and she has been made as a leader over the people. Before, I, before my soul even realized it, I, w- I became like the chariot over uh, the holy people. Like She'd been this leader all of a sudden by putting her faith in her Focus on Jesus. That's what happened. Well, at the same time, some people were like, oh, return, Shulamite. We want to we look at you. We, we appreciate your, your ministry. And then another group, they said, what do you see in the Shulamite? So one group goes, we love you. We appreciate your ministry. The other group goes, meh, I don't think so. Not that great. What, what's so great about her? And so... This is what we ended with last week, that as the Lord uh, ministers in your life and you become mature in love and you grow, and then all of a sudden you step into areas of you know, God's gifts and calling for you, that there will be a, a group of people that really ex- uh, receive and, and respect the ministry God's doing through you. There'll be a people that really love it. But always, always, there'll be a group that doesn't. There's, there has never, ever been that one person that everybody just thought was awesome. It's just how it goes. And it's a, it's a point of meekness and a point of, you know, challenge in some ways. But it's how it goes. Well, chapter 7, it's interesting because you, we get to hear from the group that really, really loves and appreciates the ministry of the bride, of the maiden, of the Shulamite. And then we get to hear from the bridegroom 
and how he appreciates her. And the truth is, there's this other group that's been bringing accusation and negativity about her, saying things and negative. And here's what's happening. She is being vindicated. And so that's where the storyline goes. And I want to read through this, verse 1 through 5. Verse 1 through 5 is fascinating. It is the, it's the mature believers who are receiving from the ministry and the maturity and the life and the love of the maiden. They're, they're, they're being blessed, and what they do is they speak to her and they espouse 10 virtues of her beauty. This is not the bridegroom speaking. He's going to talk in just a minute. This is the rest of the church that appreciates her ministry. I want you to catch something. And I'm, my personality doesn't appreciate. It's just how I am. I don't really appreciate. Um, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't appreciate it. It's not the way I want to say it. I don't pay attention to a lot of people saying, hey, good job. That was awesome. I, I just kind of blow that off. I really only kind of care if my wife and my kids liked it. I mean, it's kind of how I am. I just, it doesn't matter to me. I, I want people to be ministered to. That not, I don't want it to suck. I mean, let's just, I, I want it to be, you know, impactful. But, I, and, 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 I, and I hope it does impact others. But from at a heart level, the only people that really, that I really care about is if my wife and my kids are ministered to by it. And so that's kind of where I, how I live. The closest people to me matter the most. And, um, and I'm, I'm not saying don't ever tell me God, that was awesome or whatever, that blessed me. I'm not, don't, don't go, well, he hates compliments, so never compliment him. That's not the point. I'm just saying how it hits me in the heart level. Does that make sense? Anybody, anybody else wired that way? That the people that are, yeah, the people that are closest to me are the ones that really impact me the most. But here's what I'm, I've learned, and here, here's what I've, I have to grow in and have grown in a lot is that so often the Lord is actually encouraging me through other people who are experiencing him through me. So they've experienced him through my ministry, and then they come back and they say, hey, that you don't know, that ministered to me so much, that meant the world to me. And I'm so grateful for this and that about how you did that or whatever. And I'm, I'm like, all GL shucks, and glory to God. And, we, and, you know, we've got our Christian ways. We go, oh, praise God. Amen, glory to God. And, and yes, say glory to God. And, and, yes, be cognizant that the only reason why this is working is because God did that through you. Be, absolutely be cognizant of that. And, and hear the voice of the Lord speaking to you through that encouragement is a really, really important point. And be be humble enough that you can absorb that. It It will minister to your soul. Not in a prideful, I'm awesome, look at me, I'm the, you know, man or whatever kind of way, but in a, that ministers to me that this has impacted you and that you are now reflecting to me that there are budding virtues in me of the maturity of Christ being formed. Does that make sense what I'm saying? It's not about arrogance. It's about affirmation and encouragement of the, the, the work of God in us. 
Does that make sense? So there's a really healthy way that encouragement sources our heart, and we receive it from the Lord is the point. So let's read verse 1 through 5. And it starts off, it's interesting, because these this is sincere believers. They're going to give 10 points, and they differ from the, the points that the Lord gives in chapter 4. He gives her eight points of her, of her beauty in chapter 4. But what's interesting, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to read it in a second. I know I've tried to start reading it twice. What's interesting is these points that the sincere believers say about her, they mirror the 10 features of beauty that the maiden says about the beloved in chapter five. Remember chapter five, she comes through the dark night and she says 10 things about him. These 10 points, now they mirror what she said was beautiful about him. Now the the sincere believers are saying those are the things that are beautiful about you. It's an interesting comparison. And um, one other thing, and then I will actually, actually, actually read this. Uh, The sincere believers speaking to her, they start with her feet, and they begin to give detail moving up. But when he affirms her in chapter four, he starts with her head and affirms her and moves down. And why is that important? Because people are going to always look at the the walk and the outside of who you are first, and they're going to affirm you in that way. The Lord is always going to look at the head that, that speaks of your inner life and affirm that and then affirm all the other points. And so we see this here where, where these sincere believers, they start at her feet and then they move up. Okay, here we go. And I'll just give a little disclaimer. Y'all don't want to go into junior high mode today. The word breasts is used multiple times in chapter 7. So all you giggly little friends, I'm just helping you to get that out now. All right, here we go. How beautiful are your feet and sandals, O prince's daughter? The curves of your thighs are like jewels, the work of the hands of a skillful workman. Your navel is a rounded goblet. It lacks no blended beverage. Your waist is a heap of wheat set about with lilies. Now, I just want to give a disclaimer here. That would be a horrible pickup line. Don't ever say that. If you're trying to do the Song of Solomon poetry point, boys, that's not it. That ain't it. Your waist is a heap of wheat. Don't ever. Don't try that. Okay, it's not the point of this. It's not about pickup lines. Okay, okay, okay. Your waist is a heap of wheat set about with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes like the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath Rabim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon. Again, another terrible pickup line, which looks towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, and the hair of your head is like purple. A king is held captive by your tresses. Okay, if you ever wondered, is this an allegory? Of course it is, because none of these things would be actually very good compliments. So that's that's a good indicator within the text that this is allegorical, because nobody wants their nose to look like a tower. 
That's easy math, right? So that represents something. Well, I'll throw the notes as I do. I'll throw the notes into the, um, into the uh, group me tonight. But the point is they are affirming who she is. They're affirming her maturity. They're affirming her growth. They're affirming her ministry in their lives. It is, man, it's tender. It's so tender. And I, I would just tell you, when, 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 I'm, when I'm quiet and, and I'm, you know, opening my heart and talking with someone, it doesn't have to be one of my besties, one of my closest, but just, and I'm just sharing, and I am able to affirm somebody and receive their affirmation, well, you know, when the, when the noise is silenced and, the, and that experience happens, it is powerfully impactful to the soul. And it is the spirit of prophecy, honestly. Because the spirit of prophecy is when we speak words of edification, exhortation, and comfort. And what this is, is the mature believers are speaking, yes, what they see, the maturity they see in her, but they're speaking from the heart of the Lord. And that's the big point, friends. And some of you, your personality is bent, bent like mine, and you just don't really, that just doesn't move you, and you just kind of brush it off. And a lot of that's self-protection, I think. we got to allow people just to s- speak to us encouraging words and receive them from the Lord. You know, and, and not in a flattery way. I, I, and I have a real high uh, sensitivity to flattery, like, so don't try to flatter me. But in, a, in an affirming way, that is encouraging, that is noting who you are in God, when those voices are coming, accept them and allow them to nourish you in a certain way and, and vindicate you because you're, you're going to have bumps and bruises on your journey. It's just what happens. Okay, so here we go. I'll just give you the tenfold expression and what they mean. Her beautiful feet speak of evangelism. The, the thighs speak of her walk with the Lord. The navel Speaks of her inner life on the inside. The heap of wheat, hallelujah, is that she's bearing fruit in the harvest. The breasts like fawns, she's nurturing others. The neck like a tower, like an ivory tower. Again, not, <laughs> don't try that at home. Uh, the neck like an ivory tower. It's her will. Your will, your neck turns your head. It's your will is set on the Lord. Eyes like pools, she's operating in Revelation. Nose like a tower. She's submitted and protected. Head uh, crowns you like Carmel. Her thought life is full of wisdom. Hair like purple. She's dedicated and devoted. Those are the 10. But here's the point. The last phrase, a king is held captive by the tresses of your hair. The idea is that the bride is, I mean, the people are recognizing that the bride is standing in the affections of the Lord and that it is, it is so evident that she has the affections of God empowering her. A king, that's the bridegroom, is held captive. He is so captivated with you because the way you're living, the way you're operating, it is beautiful and you've matured in love. And so it's a precious, precious passage. Well, in verse six, now what we're gonna get is the bridegroom speaking directly to her. And he says this, how 
fair and how pleasant you are, O love, with your delights. Again, guys, you realize, and I hope the lens and the filter of the way you hear him speak to you, I hope it's transitioning after all these weeks of hearing this. It doesn't have to completely change perfectly, but I'm just saying, like, I hope you're beginning to hear him speak tenderly to you. He's tender. He, he's, he is so tender in how he expresses his heart to us. Sometimes he expresses, us, expresses it with urgency, and I get that. But sometimes I hear people, and they say, God told me if I don't do this, he's going to smack me, whatever, whatever, beat me up. Or whatever. I just say, that's not what they say, but they say things like that. And I just go, I don't think, that's the, I don't think that was him. I just don't think. He's not threatening you. So many people, they hear God through that lens, that he's this threatening God. He is not. He's not. He's saying, you please me. I love you. You're precious to me. Even in correction, he talks that way. And in affirmation, he talks that way. It's, he, he's, he's not emotional in the way that unstable emotional people are emotional. He's deeply emotional, but he's not like unstable in his emotions. And you got to catch that. He is extremely steady in the sense that the writer of Hebrews say he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's incredibly stable, but he's extremely emotional. So he says to her, he goes, how fair. You're so beautiful. How pleasant. Oh, you please me. Oh, love, I love you. You delight me. He's affirming who she is. And he begins to describe, he says, the stature of yours is like a palm tree and your breasts like its clusters. And this is what he's saying there. Palm trees in a storm. How many have seen like hurricane footage? Cars are flying around. And palm trees are bending. They don't break. And what does, why? Because a palm tree, the way its root system is, is it's, it's locked in. And even like, you'll see like downed power lines and torn down like um, telephone poles and light poles and stuff. And the palm trees are all still there. They don't snap. They don't break. They're, they're, they're malleable. And their root system is deep, so they're unmoved. He says to me, he says to you and me, he goes, you are mature like a palm tree. He goes, and, and your breasts are like clusters. The point of that is you're mature. You are stable and you're mature. And, and, and this is a, a critical, critical thought that when God is talking to us, and people have beat us down. He doesn't come behind it and go, you see that? You see what they're saying? You're horrible, just like they said. He doesn't do that. He shows up and he says, you know what? You're beautiful. You please me. You're delightful. I love you. And by the way, you're still standing. You're still standing. 
And the fact that you're still standing, you're like a palm tree. You're like a mature palm tree. You, you are, you're unbreakable. And I see that about you. And so often in our walk with the Lord, we hear other people speaking negatively potentially about us. And I'm not talking about you did something really dumb and then they're acting dumb back to you. I'm just talking about you got into something and people are coming at you and you're not sure why. And in your, your young years, you don't have that happen as much. I, I, well, let me, talk, let me speak about me. In my young years, most of the time when people were coming at me, it's because I did something to provoke it. It's just honestly. I was like, well, I'm just being bold. No, you're being arrogant and brash and obnoxious. And there's a difference. And, and so in my young years, I, I, I would say I brought it on me. I brought it on. As I've gotten older, gotten wiser, gotten slower in to speak, I've noticed sometimes I will have in my own heart what I think is like a pure, pure intention. And what I say is completely misconstrued, misunderstood. And by, from the time it left my mouth to the time it hit the other person's ears, it is a completely different sentence. And then all of a sudden it's turned on me, and now, now I'm getting a response, and I've, I've had this conversation so many times with people, I just, I mean, on 30 years of ministry, you get, a lot of, you get a lot of interesting things, but I've had this conversation with people so many times that I'm very alerted, and I'm, I'm a, obviously, I'm a, I have a communication degree, and I communicate for a living. I don't want to say I'm a professional communicator, but I pay attention. I listen very well, and I speak a lot, so, but talking a lot doesn't make you a professional communicator. Listening a lot does. 80% of communication is what you hear. But I would say this, I have been in so many combos, and I say my sentence, and the next sentence that comes out of the person lets me know that the sentence that I just said and the sentence that they heard are different. And I'll literally get a, I get, I get a, a, a sentence back, and I go, wait, what did, you, what did you just hear? What did you just hear? And then they'll repeat back to me, and I go, yeah, let me, can I say it again? Let me say it again. That's, that's not what I intended to say. You ever been in this conversation? Or did you just start barking at each other? Because when I was younger, I just started barking. They, 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 they throw a spear back, and I'm like, oh, yeah? Oh, I got some spears. Rah! You know, and then just now we're fighting. Rah, 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 rah. And it's that rock'em, sock'em robots. Sorry, Toy Story. Um, anyway, and I'll go, wait, wait, can I say it again? Because what you're responding to is not what I intended to say. You know, on a good day, I say it like that. I'm like, that's not what I said. <laughs> on a no normal slash bad day, I'm like, ah, nah, you didn't hear what I said. Stop. <laughs> good day, I go, oh, excuse me, sorry, pardon me. Uh, just, just wondering what you're saying. doesn't quite match, but I, it's a deep part of my heart that I, was, I wasn't trying to say that. Anyway, but that thing will get misconstrued, and then all of a sudden there's a conflict, and then there's these experiences of conflict that were never the intention of your heart. And man, that's hard to recover from. It's hard to get out of that. Well, the Lord, he sees that. 
And, and sometimes, you know, it, it devolves. Those, those encounters, not just a conversation, but those encounters of conflict, they devolve into mistreatment. Now, I know everybody that's getting mistreated thinks that they're getting mistreated unjustly. Again, I believe that when I was young, I did a lot of provoking of my, yeah, my incoming mistreatment. Uh, but I definitely have been in that position where I'm getting mistreated and I'm going, I, don't, I really, I don't think this is, not, this is not okay. Like what's happening is not okay. And so then that's why I, God gave me a good wife because I go, is this what happened? Am I getting mistreated or is this just me being a jerk again? And she'll tell me, you were a jerk and thus you're now getting mistreated. <laughs> or I don't think you were a jerk that time. And um, she never calls me a jerk ever. But... Some of you have experienced mistreatment, and it's been not your fault, and it never got made right, and you're, you're, you're walking around wondering, when is this going to get made right? And then people, what, what they do when they are wounded that way, when they don't, when they don't release that and forgive it, they literally live out of that wound throughout the rest of their life. And I would just say, doing this for a long time in ministry, I have met so many people who are advanced in years, and they live through the pain of a mistreatment that happened decades ago sometimes. And everybody is viewed through the lens of that. They're suspicious. They're self-protecting. Their heart is closed. They are quick to, you know, retaliate when they perceive there is a, a, a harm. And, um, and, and what, what's going on is that wound of mistreatment, it was never addressed. It was never released. It was, and, and, and they walk around feeling not ever vindicated. So they have a hypervigilance about the way that they approach relationships because they feel like they have to constantly vindicate themselves or protect themselves from a future wounding. Does this sound at all familiar? Is this? So what God wants us to do is he wants us to experience mistreatment. Now, he's not trying to always get us mistreated, but he was mistreated, Right? And we fellowship with him in, in suffering, right? We've, we've covered that in chapter 5. But he's, he wants us to go through mistreatment and then manage it in a way that's consistent with his nature. And remember, so when Jesus was mistreated, he had a response. What was his response in mistreatment? Forgive them. Did he defend himself? Nobody's trying to jump on this train. You're like, oh, no. He didn't. Did he fight back? Does the Bible say like a lamb before its shearers, that's the one who cuts its hair off, is silent? So is Jesus before his accusers. That's how he managed it. He literally didn't retaliate because he was waiting on something. What was he waiting on? The vindication of the Father. 
When you get mistreated, the appropriate response is to forgive and to bless and look for God to vindicate. Now, that is like so hard on our flesh. That is so painful because you get smacked, and I mean, it's a knee jerk to smack back, right? Oh, you're not smacking me. You're not smacking me. I'm just, oh, I'll smack you. Smack me. I'll, you know what I mean? Like, that's how we, we just, it's a knee jerk to retaliate. God goes, no. No. I will vindicate you. Watch. And if if my vindication doesn't cause the offender to repent, I will avenge you. And I promise you, no matter how you've been done wrong, you really don't want to pray for God's vengeance to fall on the head of somebody who's mistreated you. You actually want to pray for mercy. But he promises. He goes, I will vindicate and I will avenge. And so what we see here is he vindicates her by beginning to declare his vindication over her, his affection over her, and her maturity in it, and how he is experiencing the fact that she's mature and how it's so pleasurable to him. That's what's going on in, in chapter 7 in this dialogue about this, the palm tree that she is. She is this bendable, not breakable palm tree who is mature. And he says, I am so pleased and delighted with you. I'm vindicating you. And so I would tell you there are so many times where I've experienced these kind of interactions, sometimes by my own doing, but sometimes really didn't. I didn't. I, I promise I, was, I didn't start it. But I'm going to finish it. No, I didn't start it. Or finish it. I didn't start it, and I'm hurt. And I, I literally end up curling up with the Lord and going, God, what is your judgment on this? Talk to me. Heal my heart right now. And he'll, and he'll just whisper to me, I love you. You're okay. Or he'll say, son, repent of this and this. You're carrying a, a judgment. Release and forgive. You're in unforgiveness. I'll go, I forgive, I bless, I forgive, I bless. Ow, ow, ow. It, man, it's so, when you have that internal momentum of negativity going towards somebody that's mistreated you, that throwing that into reverse and like going, I bless them. It is so hard to get the first one out of your mouth. I bless them. But there's so many times where I'm going, ooh, I blessed them. Like I can't even get the words through the teeth. You know what I'm saying? But I found if I'll just, if I'll even eke it out of my mouth, not in your head, can't do it in your head. It's like it doesn't quite, it doesn't quite count. It doesn't have life until you say it. And you just, I go, I forgot them. He goes, what was that? I didn't hear you. I forgive them. He goes, no, no, a little louder. Open your mouth, buddy. I go, I forgive them. He goes, ah, that's good, isn't it? It's good. And I go, it's not good. He goes, it's good. Do it again. I forgive them. He goes, that's good, isn't it? I go, it's a little better. He goes, say it again, bud. I go, I forgive them. He goes, that's right. 
and I forgive you, son. You just remember that? Like, it, it is a, it, it's, a, it's working a muscle that we, our flesh does not want us to work. But friends, I will tell you something. I meet people who are two and three times your age that are living in the pain and through the lens of unvindicated mistreatment, unforgiven mistreatment, and they are rotting on the inside. And the answer is forgiveness, and hear the Lord's vindication. You're okay. You're okay. I love you. You're beautiful. Stand right now. Stand right now. You're mature. And these are the, these are the words he says, you are beautiful. And he calls us into being that palm tree that will not break. And so I feel this. I feel that all of us at some point uh, experience mistreatment. I think young age, old age, it doesn't matter. I do think there's obviously many in the room you've been mistreated, not of your own doing, not of your own fault, like I was putting out there. I don't think that every time that you go through a conflict, it's automatically the other person's fault. If every conflict you're in, it's always their fault, that's probably not true. It can't be 100% always the other person. That's called narcissistic personality disorder. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but it, it's not always them. It's some, you have a part to play. But there is bona fide mistreatment that you did zero in, and, and that's true too. And you can be mistreated when it's your fault too, like when you started it and then you're mistreated. You're, there's reprisals. There's all sorts of nuance to it. So don't hear me saying it's only one way. But do hear me say this. It going unaddressed in your soul, it will rot you. It, it will take you out. I remember my pastor, I asked him as a young man, I said, hey, what is the key? What's the key in ministry to being able to stay the course over the long haul? He goes, you know what? When I was your age, I asked my pastor that. And I said, yeah. He goes, I found this to be true. I go, well, what is it? He said, I asked my pastor, what's the key to longevity in ministry? And he said this. He said, keep your heart free from bitterness. From bitterness. I would have thought he would have said, pray and fast till you get anointed. He goes, no, it's bitterness because it will rot you at the core. Stay free from offense and bitterness. Well, that's what he calls her out of. He says, listen, you are beautiful. It's not your portion to be buried under these accusations. You are pleasing to me. I'm delighted in you. You are a palm tree. You're going to bend and not break under this. And I'm vindicating who you are. And so, in, so if I can just make it practical for you. In a mistreatment, in a mistreatment, first ask the Lord, what do you say? What do you say, Jesus? Don't retaliate. What do you say, Jesus, about me? How do you feel about me? Let him speak tenderly to your heart. Then, Jesus, how do you feel about the, next, the other person? How do you feel about them? If you hear a voice that says, I hate them, you should kill them, that's not Jesus. Because he will tell you he loves them just like he loves you. Even in their sin, he loves them just like he loves you.
And then you ask him, what do you want me to do? He's going to say, forgive. Forgive and release. And friends, this is the key. When you are in unforgiveness, you know how like when you get mistreated, you're like, well, I'll never forgive that person. You think you're doing them wrong by never forgiving them, right? By quote-unquote never forgiving them, you just locked the door on your own cage. The only person that gets, in, gets jailed in unforgiveness is you. They don't know that you're holding them in unforgiveness. You're like, oh, I'll never talk to them again. They are completely unaware that you're over there simmering in unforgiveness. Are y'all with me on this point? Are y'all like, dude, okay, we get it, stop. Like, are we, are we good? Okay. Y'all. I, I want this for you. I want you to live with a free heart. I want you to live in the affirmations of the father and of the bridegroom. I want you to feel the beauty that he... He ascribes to you, even if you've been mistreated, I want you to feel free in love and not bound by unforgiveness when you've gone through mistreatment. You, you really can come through with a heart that's soaring. This is a process, a major process of maturity. And so you ask him, what do you feel about me? What do you feel about them? How do you want me to handle this? He'll never say retaliate. He'll always say forgive. And then when it comes to forgiving and releasing, you release them, but with this knowledge. Because sometimes it feels like, oh, I'm forgiving, but who's going who's gonna to fight for me in this? Who's going who's gonna to make it up to me? You release them with the knowledge that God is your vindicator and he is your avenger. And if you can trust that, that he's going to vindicate and he's going to avenge, it's easy to release it. And if, if you're having a hard time forgiving, pray for the offender. I know that sounds terrible and hard. Pray for it. And don't pray that God would kill them. Pray that they would turn to the Lord. Pray that they would know the Lord's heart, that they would know his love. Yeah, this will help you to manage your soul in a whole, whole different way, guys. Okay, verse 10, she's going to say, we know this phrase, but now, he sa- now she says it even a little differently. She starts with, I am owned by him. I am my beloved's. His desire is toward me. His desire is toward me. And this is where I want you to come to. Do you know he desires you? Guys, confidence in his desires for you is the whole of this life. Confidence in love, confidence of his desire of you. He desires you. He wants you. He wants to be with you. He loves you. He, he's, he's so into you. To know that every single day that he is not against you. He is for you and he wants you. He desires you. That is the most compelling thing to the human soul. 
So we see her insecurity. We see her transformed. She's aware of his pleasure toward her and his desire for her. And so this, here's what the point is. Mature love, and this is what this passage is all about, this palm tree, the, the detail of that. Mature love creates maturity in every area of your life. Mature love creates maturity in every area. And that's what we're seeing in her. This is not about her performance, her title, her position. It's not about anything that is, you know, you can ascribe to her in any achievement of her. This is about she has come to maturity and love, and he is saying that she is now fully grown. Friends, mature love is what you need, what you have to have. That's, that's the pursuit that we want to get. And that's what carries us in victory and battle. That's what enables us to be sustained through mistreatment. And I would just say this. If you understand that love, you've got his love, there is literally nothing else greater than knowing that. All right. And then the last bit, and then we'll pray. Verse 11 to 13. She's going to respond to him now, and man, it has changed. Come, my beloved, let us go forth to the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine is budded, whether the grape blossoms are open and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give off a fragrance. At our gates are pleasant fruits. All men are new and old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved, do you recognize that this is the same style language from chapter 2 where he's inviting her out to go onto the mountains? He's like, look at the field. Look, everything is budding. It's time to go. Come, arise. Now she has entered into this mature place in love, and she's saying, hey, let's go. It is so different. She's so changed. But the difference is she's not working in the field in the heat of the day, not tending her own garden. She's saying, let's, me and you, let's go to the field and you and I will, we will share our intimacy. We will share love in the field. We're, we're going to do this life together in love. And so wherever we go, we're going to be experiencing love. And she recognizes that it's not ministry or intimacy. It's intimacy that begets ministry and ministry that begets intimacy. You don't leave one for the other. And that's a false dichotomy that so many people in the body of Christ that they get into. They go, either I've got to go work for God or I get to be slow and like love on God. No. We run with him and experience his love in the running. And we, we, that whole thing works together. We are not to run for him and not experience intimacy with him. She goes, let's go. She goes, let's go and look at the, the blooms, the blossoms. And I put in the notes all that with, you know, what these points kind of mean. But she goes, but here's the thing. I, let's run to the fields. She goes, there, we will flow back and forth in love with one another. Guys, I, if you can just get this, running hard, running hard with Jesus 
doesn't burn you out. What burns you out is running hard for Jesus without intimacy with Jesus. People are like, well, man, 24-7 prayer, don't you guys, like, I mean, fasting and prayer 24-7, it just burns everybody out. I go, no, no, prayer and fasting and reading the Bible doesn't burn you out. Trying to do it without intimacy for Jesus, with Jesus does, for sure. But doing that is, isn't, doesn't burn you out. What burns you out is doing any ministry, feeding the poor, evangelizing to millions, healing every single person in the stadium, doing whatever the ministry is without intimacy with him, that will burn you out. And she's come to this, this place of truth where she understands, I am going to flow back and forth in love with you. I never have to leave that intimate place in love with you, and I get to be with you in the field. And friends, that, that's what it looks like when, when we're mature. Amen. I'm just going to end there. And I want to I pray specifically into this issue of allowing the Lord to vindicate our hearts. We'll pray, do a little ministry, and then uh, tonight at midnight, we have midnight oil which is our intercession set that we've been doing. So just after the service, go run, eat a head of lettuce, come on back, just run over to Kroger, get you a whole thing of cabbage. Anybody ever do that? Just bite the head of lettuce? I'm just wondering, anybody like that in the room? Okay, a couple people, all right, my wife might do that. My wife introduced me to something that I just didn't think humans did when we got married. She would cut up a green pepper and eat it raw. No dressing. Anybody in that lane? I'm just wondering. Okay, a couple people. Just hand up a couple people like that. Good for you. That, I, never, I, <laughs> I never got into that. I was raised on M&M's and cheeseburgers from McDonald's. So, let's stand. I love you, friends. Love you. I care about your heart, your soul. I care about you carrying unforgiveness. I care about you thinking you have to vindicate and avenge yourself. And I know mistreatment takes many forms. Some of it is horrifying. I understand. I understand. telling you there is no one who wants to fight for you more than Jesus there is no one that wants to avenge you more than Jesus and we are so afraid that our offender our mis- the one that mistreats us is going to get away with something and he is staring at you and you are so precious to him He is unwilling to let injustice and mistreatment go unaddressed. But we have to give him the room to do it. The alternative is 
we avenge ourselves and we hold others in unforgiveness and we end up rotting. And I'm telling you, mature love, mature love, understanding the way he loves you and loving him, it enables you to trust him to avenge. If that's hitting you, if that, if that idea is hitting you that there's been mistreatment and you haven't been able to understand that he's a vindicator and he's an avenger. I really want to pray for you. I, I want your soul to be free. That tonight you could just step into faith and trust that he will vindicate. He will avenge. So come Holy Spirit. Let's just pray for a moment. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we need you to speak as the avenger, as the vindicator. We need you to speak into us. Where we've been mistreated, misunderstood, where our words have been twisted and misconstrued, where people have said things about us, hurt us, trespassed against us. Lord, that you would show up right now as the vindicator. You would speak tenderly to us. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next message.